Well, my friend Jesse is still up here for a reason. I have always had a passion to, if I could live a separate life. You ever seen those movies where the character is living two lives at the same time? I've always wanted to be a Ramada Inn lounge singer, always. Even when I was, uh, when I was a child, my dad used to laugh at me because I would say, Dad, who are those people that sing in the hotels? And he's like, what? I, there's nothing funnier to me than lounge singers. I travel for 18 years on the East Coast, speaking lots of places about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I would stay in these hotels and you could hear them downstairs. And um, I could speak in front of a million and never get nervous. I'm about to throw up right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something, all right? All right. So when, when you think about Ramada Inn, you better carry me. When you, think, when you think about Ramada Inn, you think about a bunch of men that wanna be Frank Sinatra. Has anyone ever been to one of those Ramada Inn uh, or maybe Holiday Inn? And they, I mean, they go at it. It's like their life is on the line and it's a little bit awkward, but then you find yourself crying. All right. So there's going to be some awkwardness. And if you cry, I'll give you some money. You ready? Here we go. And now the end is near. And so I face the fire. Bobby said, if you ain't first, you're last. Well, I got a flip-flop. Some people bring charismatic preachers money. I got a flip-flop thrown at me. The song is great. And I love Sinatra songs. When it's not great is that's how most of God's kids in the West live their lives. And that's what this series is about. This series is honestly in many ways about spiritual adultery. I love you, Lord. I love you. I made a decision for you when I was nine years old, but I've done it my way for the last 40 years and that's just the way I'm gonna keep on going. It's a fun song. I think it's hysterical. It's probably Sinatra's second best song. It's not funny from heaven's perspective because when the father looks at a lot, if not most of his kids in the West, we don't do it his way, we do it our way, stamp Jesus on it, and many people, many people stand before him one day and have no idea they were never regenerated in the first place. There are so many people that think they're in the kingdom, they're God's kids, they've never been regenerated. Uh, it may, it may uh, make more sense. If you're, I have been a Burger King in many years because I grew up and I matured, and um, I used to love Burger King when I was in high school. But let's look at this Burger King. Have it your way. We love that. I want to go to a restaurant, order what I want, when I want, how I want it, feel the boldness to tell the manager that it's too hot in there or it's too cold, 
how dare you, because we've been born and bred, specifically in the South, we're going to have it our way on everything. Have it our way. I want it my way. We church hop, conference hop, do what we want to do, when we want to do it, walk in bitterness, walk in offense, and the whole time not knowing that we're acting as though we're regenerated when many people need to get born again. There are people in this room right here, or they can hear me, that after this series, you're going to have to have seriously evaluate, are you born again? Because there's one metric of friendship with God. There's one, and that is obedience. Jesus says in John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. Everybody say if. There's a big if. There's a lot of people who think they're God's kids. They never do anything he says. And then stamp Jesus on it. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't know you. The way that the gospel is presented in the West, many times a demon could get born again. Hey, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Absolutely. Praise God, brother. That's, that's, um, you're, you're in. You don't have to go to hell. Now you go to heaven. The message of the kingdom has always been about denial, not having it my way, but Luke 9.23ing it. Can we look at Luke 9.23? Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Here's how I know if I'm in the kingdom, if I'm in Christ, am I following Jesus? You don't hear questions like that a lot. Can we put the other um, Burger King slide up? I thought this made me laugh a little bit. You know what's funny about me? People that know me well, a lot of people that hear me preach, I'm passionate. They think I like to fight. I'm, a, I'm not. I'm like Kung Fu Panda. I want to eat my dumplings and I want to stay out of trouble. But I typically find the dragon warrior the more I keep saying yes to Jesus. He told me to go to the altar three times this morning. And I said, I didn't want to because I knew I, I didn't want to. And he said, I want you to give me something. This is before Jesse gave the invitation to give him something. And he said, will you give me your reputation? And I said, yes. Because the content over the next eight weeks is the content that's been in me for so long. And I just... I don't want to be mean. There's, I don't, I'm not trying to run people off. I'm not, I'm not even trying to like be shocking for shock value. I don't like that. I'm not that guy in the natural. I am putting extra bigger tires on my truck because I want to, I'm having a midlife crisis. So I want my truck to be a little bit taller right now. But typically I don't jump out of airplanes. I don't like fast cars. I'm pretty laid back, but I'm being facetious. I made a tremendous mistake 15 years ago. I read the gospel of John 1500 times and Jesus Christ ruined my life. And the higher I get up on the mountain, I can't take stuff with me. And his own revelation becomes the breath in my lungs. And I just want to share with you, with the family that I'm called to shepherd, what I have found. That's all. So my name is Chad Norris. I'm the lead pastor of this church. And we're in a series called Ascending the Mountain. What in the world is the mountain? Ascending the Mountain. Joe Reynolds asked me last year, he said, he was being dead serious. He said, hey, I want us to go and hike Everest. And I said, uh, no. No. I hate cold and I don't like climbing. Other than that, I'd love to go. Then I Googled it and it cost $48,000 to climb Everest. No. I'll climb right down those steps and right at that wall today. I'm not. 
but ever since I'm a kid, I have wanted to ascend the mountain of God so bad. Do you know there's a huge difference in God in living at base camp and living on the summit? Huge difference. Huge difference. You can live in base camp by being regenerated, believing that he's your Lord and Savior, receiving him, confessing him, giving your life to him. But to go from base camp to ascending the mountain is very different. It actually comes through surrender. And it comes through obedience. You know, typically the millionaires that money or billionaires that doesn't ruin his or her life, they make their money through compound interest over time. You win the lottery, it typically ruins your life. Compound interest over time in the kingdom is a little yes along the way that turns into 10,000 yeses and you find yourself on a higher place in the mountain of God than other people. Um, The way I worship, my personality, I can't trick God, I can't win him over, I can't manipulate him. There's only one metric that gets you further up the mountain and that's obedience. You see, we we tend to believe that uh, worship is coming to the altar and being very exuberant. Worship is actually Genesis 22. The only form of worship that the father truly honors is if you take Isaac up onto the top of the mountain when he tells you to. As a pastor, gosh, a lot of times I watch a lot of people actually abiding in the devil and they worship very exuberantly at the altar. It's what you do in private. It's it's me saying yes to the things that the father asked me to do that no one would know if I didn't do it, but he knows. Um, my, uh, my dad's paying for his family, but I guess 18 of us or so, we're going to the beach for a few days. And the father told me to leave my phone at home. He, no, y'all aren't gonna know that. So I just told you, and here's, here's the deal. If I take it, no one's gonna know. He told me to leave it here. I started reasoning in my mind this morning, I'll only check it at night. I had conviction come on me. He said, that's not what I told you. And you say, what's the big deal? It's a big deal because there's tests along the way. You can't ascend the mountain and be disobedient. It doesn't work. I don't care if you can prophesy. I don't care if if you raised the dead 10 years ago. There's something about ongoing obedience and this thing has to stay at home because he told me to. He wants me to be fully connected to my family and, and not disassociate in any way and I'm gonna need deliverance because I can't read my sports Twitter for four or five days. Thank you, Ryan. When it comes to ascend the mountain, I know no better way to describe it than this passage right here in Psalm 24. I'm sure the staff is starting to roll their eyes at me on this because I can't stop talking about it everywhere I go. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Man, there is enough right there to just talk about for a long, long time. Do you know that when the father thinks of you being born again, never in his mind and never out of the mouth of Jesus, was it about avoiding a place called hell and going to a place called heaven? Jesus never preached it. The father sent Jesus Christ to this earth and when he ascended after he was resurrected and paid the penalty those who put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ the purpose of that was not just to avoid hell and go to heaven when you die the purpose of it was to be connected with the father in intimacy to where you were so close he would put language on it throughout the Bible as though you're married 
So you think about Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. You see, the father's paradigm, the most powerful question you will ever ask is, God, what are you thinking over me? It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to think like him. What he thinks of when he brought you into his family, when you put trust in Jesus Christ, had nothing to do with you just believing something. It had everything to do with you now being so joined to him that you would follow him in literal covenant. You don't hear much teaching anymore on covenant. You hear a lot of teaching about God's promises. And it's as though the gospel is more about the promises than the one who gave the promise. There's so many people around that think they know God. And by the way, that's yada in Hebrew in Jeremiah 9. That word yada boasts that they may know me. That yada was a picture of intimacy inside the context of marriage. God has no idea what it means to like flirt with him, be sort of kind of interested with him. There is no gray in the message in his mind of what it means to be family with God. You're either all in or you're not. And there's so many people in the kingdom that think it's not that way. And so you create something in your mind that's never true. And even your own ideology becomes an idol that heaven has no idea. You think you're in Christ and you're not even in Christ. It's impossible to be in Christ abiding in him and not produce fruit. You can't do it. You can't do it. A tree is known by its what? And so many of God's kids, if you are in Christ, they say, well, I made a decision when I was nine. The decision was to follow Jesus, not believe in him. 80 something time in the gospels, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. It is amazing to me how many people play around with eternity based upon a faulty logic or a faulty theology, thinking they're in Christ when they've never been in Christ and somehow create some sort of theology that it's okay not to be dead. I can do what I do, have it my way, you know, just whatever. Whatever I'm in the mood for, that's just what I do. Heaven doesn't know what that is. In the kingdom, the birth canal into the kingdom is you give up all your rights. You empty yourself, you deny yourself, and you say, Lord Jesus, I am yours. As though we're married, I make a covenant with you that your decisions are my decisions. Your dreams are my dreams. Where you go, I'll go. There is, you don't have an opinion with a king in a monarchy. We're in a democracy. It's beginning to be almost impossible to interpret the scriptures through a democratic mindset. He is a sovereign king. You'll fall before him one day. He sits on a literal throne. And, and those he values in the father's family are those that just say, hey, bend me, like they said in the Welsh revival. Bend me, bend me, bend me. Or as John Wimmer said, I'm just loose change in your pocket. To be completely dead to where it's like, I just want all of you. A couple driving from Columbus, Ohio is normal hunger in the kingdom. Ima- Im- I, nobody in here would do this. Imagine me in the last week thinking it's not that big a deal to have four, five, six affairs on Wendy. That's not that big a deal. I want to sh- show you some language here. Go to, um, do we have the Ephesians passage? Verses 31 and 32. I can't remember the chapter. I think it's five. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
when you said yes to Jesus, you became one with him. Paul would say it this way in Philippians 3, 7 through 10. This blows my mind. He's in a prison cell being beaten for this. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He basically says this. I don't want to know where he ends and I begin or I begin and he ends. I just want to be one. I want, I want him to be the lover of my soul. That's not extreme. That's normal Christianity. And the word for, uh, for no there is gnosko. It was a Jewish idiom inside the context of marriage for intimacy. The early hearer of that passage in Philippians would have been like, I'm not so sure I want to go down front for that altar call. Dr. Graham, towards the end of his life, feared that many people that came down forward for altar calls did not make a true decision. He really wrestled with that. The question is not what decision did I make 31 years ago? The question is, am I dead to myself, alive to Christ and following him every day? The, the gospel is not an invitation to get what you want when you want. You go to heaven when you die and it doesn't cost you anything here. It costs you everything. Where are the Bonhoeffers? Where have they gone? Where are the Dietrich Bonhoeffers? Where are the old reformers? Where are the people that are preaching what's been preached for 1,800 years after the ascension? This thing has turned into a rabbit's foot. It's, hey, we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. You're going to stand before Jesus one day. You're going to stand before him and you're going to be held accountable based upon what you did with him. I'm t- the father showed me the other night. It's as though the enemy has put a, um, a needle into the church in the west, uh, west and it's asleep. It's like... Um, where it's, it's full of apathy. And what he's saying is, wake up. Every day, and this is, not, not every day, that's not, at least once a week. I don't know, it may be every day for me by now. Every day, I seem to have at least one thought that I'm a day closer to standing before him. And you say, well, that's kind of morbid. I've never been more excited in my life. The enemy put a thought in my mind the other day. Um, I don't hear him much, but I heard him the other day. He said, um, he said, what if you dropped dead of a heart attack? You know what I immediately said? I'd hug Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, and go find my grandmama. <laughs> I'm not saying it'd be morbid. Kids, let me do this. Where are my kids at? Young kids and then kids at heart. All right. I want to show a picture of my dog. Y'all have dogs? I'm not a cat person. Do we have any cat people in here? I don't have anything against cats. I sneeze a lot when I'm around and they never come to me. They won't play fetch. And they look like they always know something I don't know. You ever notice that about a cat? Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Nope. You sit here to my dog and it's like pounce time. Okay, this is my dog. His name is Preacher. And that's, that's Jack holding him. I love the all moments. It's kind of like social media. That picture makes you think that's the most peaceful time in my life. The angels were playing the harps. Preacher was growling at Jack. Jack was squeezing him so hard, I thought he was going to kill him. And it caused me anxiety. But let's put it in front of the congregation. My life is wonderful. Like, dislike, like. This is Preacher. Preacher has problems. It's embarrassing how, if if you're a kid in here and you have a dog, raise your hand. When you get older, you'll start doing this. Now, look at me. This is embarrassing. Your parents, when your dog is young and they go outside to either poo-poo or tee we brag on the dogs. And we talk, oh, preacher, you poo-poo, you poo-poo, you tee Preacher 
is he's, he's been on the earth now 10 months. He's 10 months old. And he's still trying to figure out the potty training thing. He's got a little bell on his door and he's supposed to go ring it. I think he thinks it's, I don't know what he thinks it is, but he'll sometimes go ring it. And last night I heard preacher's mama say, did he just pee pee inside? And I'm thinking it's not that difficult. There's grass. You go to where the grass is. You do what God programs you to do. You come back inside. Unfortunately, when you have a dog, you have to train a dog. And this can be quite phobic, anxiety inducing and miserable because dogs typically won't do what you tell them to do until later on in life. It's kind of like us and the father. All right. So this past week, me and Preacher and Joe Reynolds were down here at the pond. And when we were at the pond, Preacher decided to run off from me. And I said, Preacher, no. And I stomped my foot. Now, to some people, if they saw that, they would say, why would you be so mean to the dog? And Joe made a comment. He goes, Preacher doesn't listen, which kind of stirred me up a little bit. And I'm like, now my parenting's being put on the line here. I'm like, all right, watch this. James Dobson, one-on-one, here we go. And I said a little bit louder, preacher. Well, about this time, we're doing so much construction here. There's a couple of really big trucks. Preacher decides to get up under one of the trucks. So this time, my preacher to preacher. The third time, I'm not going to do it. I lose my voice. I yelled so hard that preacher went into the submit position really quick. Now, his submission position is really funny. He flips over and puts all four legs up, and he'll just lay there till you come get him. If I could speak dog, I would say, I've never had an ill thought towards you. I don't want to hurt you. I'm a kind person. I want to love you. I'm the stronger party in the twosome here. The reason I'm having to get on to you is I see the danger coming for you. Preacher, you're up under a truck. He's this far from a tire that could kill him if the guy, I think the guy was in the car. If he backs up, my dog dies. The father's role with us as he guides us is not to hurt us. It's actually to protect us. And us becoming one with him and him taking our rights away is actually in humility, it's actually to elevate us and like Aladdin's rug there to show us more through submission that we can ever do on our own. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Who can ascend the mountain of God? Only him with clean hands and a pure heart. I would just love to tell my dog, if you'll do what I say and how I say it and when I say it, it will go so much better for you. I guess here's what I'm trying to say. When it comes to ascending the mountain, can we put this Psalm passage back up? When we don't do it his way, it never works out. How many of us have stories in our lives where we didn't do it his way? You knew you weren't and then calamity came and it just didn't work out. Every single one of us. And then all of a sudden, it looks like nothing's going on in your life. You're doing it his way and you have breakthrough happening for you and there's fruit everywhere and you can't take any credit for it. See, the enemy wants you to think that God wants to take away something from you to actually hurt you. The truth is he, he's the stronger party in the marriage. Look at this. Look at this. Um, yeah, that's Sinatra 316. Let's go back to um, um, Psalm 23. 
the verses, specifically verses, uh, verse five. Do we have that? They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from their savior. Next verse. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. In the kingdom of God, from Genesis to Revelation, the number one theme of the Bible is you shall seek me and you shall find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Do you know that the book of Hosea is not about Hosea and Gomer? The book of Hosea is a picture of the gigantic love story of God and his people. If you read Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, here it is. It is one nonstop love story. The father says to his people, I am Jehovah. I have formed you. I have made you. I have tremendous plans for you. I want to bless you. God's people say, we don't need you. God chases them a little bit. And then he finally says, you know what? You want it your way? Go have it your way. God did not want them to have Saul as king. He told them. Eventually, you keep pushing God, he'll get you, he'll hand you what you don't want, and then you're going to have two, three, four, five decades of trying to unravel what he never wanted you to have. So God turns the other way, and they say, oh, Jehovah, we're so sorry, I messed up, I messed up, I messed up. And God will raise up a deliverer, here comes a Joshua, here comes a Moses, and God will say, I love my people. And then the next thing you know, in the next passage, Aaron's making earrings into idols, God says, I loved you. And they said, we don't need you anymore. And God says, but I made you for myself. And then here's what God does. Go read it for yourself. He says, that's fine. If that's what you want, have at it. And God turns and goes the other way. And they say, what have we done? Oh God, we need you. I love you. The entire story of the Old Testament is a gigantic love, of, love story of, of, of tension There's one word that describes how God feels about you that you may have never heard of. Look at Exodus 34. This is a strange thought. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out. Actually, that's the the wrong passage. I think I gave you the wrong passage. The one where God says, I am a jealous God and I made you for myself. Can we find that? I believe I may have given you the wrong one. Here it is. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Recently, I had a dream while I was in London, someone I care very deeply about was about to make a very poor decision in this dream. In the dream, I hunted this person down. And I saw this other person in the dream that looked like a normal man, but I knew that he wasn't a normal man. And this man was coming against somebody that I love very dearly. And I didn't say, okay, God, it's in your hands. In the dream, I went past the person in my life that I do life with, and I viciously attacked what turned out to be a principality. And I tried to rip this thing to shreds. God's never been passive towards you. God's good friends aren't passive towards the enemy and other things that that don't resemble the God life. In other words, if you are passive in your Christianity, the first thing to ask is, is, are you born again? Because there is no passivity in God towards you. He's jealous. This isn't just an Old Testament concept. When you say yes to his son, Jesus, you become into his family. We are sleepwalking through this thing and we think it's okay. Neo, in many ways, in the movie The Matrix, would have been better off if he just didn't swallow the pill. If you haven't seen Matrix, the elders will be calling you for church discipline. You need to see it soon. He had an option, swallow the pill and understand what true reality is or just plead ignorance. 
It's not okay to plead ignorance anymore once the father gives you revelation of what's his normal. And then my normal has to match his normal. It's not okay to watch any movie I want to watch, to listen to any music I want to watch. It's not okay to have little pet sins when he's not calling them pet sins. He's calling them idols. It's not okay for my job to be my idol. It's not okay for my spouse to be my idol. Counseling sessions can even become an idol when you spend so much time in your past that you ignore what Paul says about looking towards the future. When you, when you get really close to God, his normal has to become your normal. Well, I really don't do church anymore. I'm not really a church guy. Guys, I'm here to tell you that you can take this one of two ways. I'm trying to manipulate things and get you to come to church. The father values corporate gathering way more than most of his kids do. That's not that big a deal. I, I just need me and God. That's like recipe number one to know that there's a great chance you need to seek out some wise counsel. You might be walking in rebellion. I'm not even talking about coming to this church. It's, it, I guess what I'm saying is this, when God has been waking me up and as I start to wake up, I can't plead ignorance anymore. Do you know that um, I've taken six trips to Haiti and those that I've taken to Haiti, there's a direct correlation with people who pack the most stuff in their suitcases have the most stuff in their souls to unpack. And it's funny, some of the healthiest people I've taken to, to Haiti, they go down there in a Ziploc bag. And then the people with, with two stuffed suitcases make fun of them for being irresponsible. It might be backwards. Maybe what BB shared from stage is true. To ascend the mountain, you don't need to pack, you need to unpack. You need to say, Father, is there anything in my life that doesn't need to be there anymore? I promise you this, this isn't even prophetic. Ask him that and see if he answers it. I dare you. Get your journal out. That Starbucks Naga High journal. Father, is there anything in my life I need to give up? I have been waiting three decades of your life for me to ask you this. He'll say to you, would you like those in alphabetical order? <laughs> it's not because he wants to hurt you because where there is no consecration, which is me separating myself from anything that keeps me between him and him, with me and him. I'm talking so fast. I feel like a jumping bean up here consecration is me getting rid of anything in my life that doesn't need to be there. We think because we're in the new covenant, it's not as big a deal anymore. There are as many idols, if not more now than there were in the old covenant. Well, it's not a big deal. I haven't taken my Honda Accord and made it into a graven image and worshiped it. Yeah, but you might be worshiping your free time. You might be literally have made such a habit in your life of your boss thinking you're working when you're really not working and you're still clocking in for it. When you start ascending the mountain, holiness is like a really big deal to God. It wasn't too long ago, I said something to somebody and it was like somebody thumped me on the head, go tell them you're sorry. I'm like, huh? Here's what's interesting. When you train a dog, you would think when you get off a leash, the dog will be the happiest it's ever been. When you get off the leash, there's more accountability because there is no leash there. You have to stay closer to the owner. I've told this story before, but... When we trained my black lab Luther back in the day, it was so funny watching him get trained. We got him to the place where I could take him into any park. And I noticed he was like a robot. He wouldn't take his eyes off of me. Wherever I walked, he walked. Well, six months before that, he, he couldn't even fetch a tennis ball. He was so untrained. As you start ascending the mountain of God, yes, you're free in Christ, Galatians, but you're free to be dead to yourself and alive to him. If it ever becomes licensed to do what you want to do, you probably have never even made it to base camp. 
if I'm trying to see how much I can get away with with God, I'm probably not his kid. I'm not trying to be mean. Here's the deal. He asked me, he, he asked me some questions this morning. I said, I've come too far to turn back now. I'm more concerned about your day of judgment before the Bama seat of Christ than me wearing skinny jeans, being cool, being funny. It's 130 degrees in right now up here. Am I making sense at all? This isn't a pretty seminary sermon. I'm already lost in my notes. I'm not going to act all cool and try to figure out where I don't I got to, let me look at something. Thank you, Terry. Oh, Lord Jesus. Here, here it is. James 4. This is awful. James 4, 4. This is in your Bible. You adulterous people. Can I, can I just, I won't stop here for a second. That is the book of James written to insiders. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He's not talking about people outside of Christ. He's talking to insiders, and he says, you adulterous people. (laughs) Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In the Greek, the word enemy, go look it up. It means what you think it means. So think about this. When the father says, I will exalt the humble and what to the proud? Oppose. The word oppose is not talking to those outside of Christ. You can be in Christ and be coming up against the father as though he's your enemy when your life is in your own hands. I really would. I'm serious when I say this. I'd rather pastor a church of this size or maybe smaller after this series and, and us be biblical than play around with cultural Christianity. It's gross. It's gross. Oh, I love you so much, Father, in public. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you in private. I've been disobedient to the last 10 commands you've given me. Man, he's given you an invitation to die to yourself and follow him. If we gave invitations the way Jesus did, we'd probably see a lot more John 6. So check this out. This is a great passage. Jesus goes into a Jewish Orthodox temple. You want to talk about someone dead to his own reputation. And he said, all right, everyone, settle down, settle down. Um, I, need to, I, need, I have a two-point message today, if we could get it up on the slides. Point one, I need you to eat my flesh. Jewish temple. Point two, just drink my blood. And you start seeing this in the scripture. I'm serious. And it says many disciples deserted him. And not only was he not insecure, He looked at Simon Peter, who he would throw the keys to and say, you leaving me too? You want to go? I love Simon's answer. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know where else I'm supposed to go. He didn't say, oh no, I love this message. (laughs) He said, I, uh, I'm going to hang right here because I'm in, I'm in too deep. Now, some of you, I've got some prophetic swirling. Some of you are in too deep that mistakes you're making right now and saying no to him. They wouldn't have cost you back in the day. They're going to cost you greatly now. I have had Jesus tell me at least four times in the last 15 years, be careful before you cross this threshold. Remember in the movie Everest? So there's, there's the summit and there's base camp. Well, there's like four tiers before you get to summit. In the kingdom of God, the deeper you go in God, you got to watch out because you'd be better off descending into base camp and staying there. Because once you become really good friends with God, his expectations and your consequences to your own sin change. 
at base camp, a seemingly, well, you know, I kind of messed up a little bit. It's not that big a deal. Try being Moses and doing that. He got angry and didn't even go into the promised land. You want to know why? Because the closer you get to God, his expectations change. This is why you got to be careful before you swallow the pill. And if he gives you revelation on something, tells you to do something, and you don't do it, and he tells you again and again, typically he'll do that through other people, he eventually, he's not going to stop loving you. He will withdraw that thing from you, and you will feel like you are in a desert, wandering, not knowing what to do. You would rather put up with him pruning you and making you do something hard than him removing his hand and you going through warfare for two decades still thinking it's pruning. Don't confuse pruning with warfare. A lot of Christians get those two things confused. So as you begin to ascend the mountain, the father will say, I need you to do something and it's really hard. Okay, father, it's you and you don't do it. I'm speaking right to myself. We have all been here. You'd be better off not ascending the mountain. Because there's intimacy with God that actually costs you. You know that when God gives you his secrets, he only gives his secrets to those he trusts greatly. He will stop giving you secrets if you stop taking him seriously. Good grief. I'm telling you, this, this thing, um, that was an average sermon until then. Y'all better listen to that right there. Let me slowly explain myself again. If there's base camp and ascending the mountain, his expectations on you change as you begin to ascend the mountain. Never before have the, have the consequences been greater for me to mess up than now. I'd have been way better off not taking him seriously about six years ago. I can feel it. I can be listening to a song on the radio, something I'd have listened to six or seven years ago and just been like, hey man, it's grace. New covenant, it's no big deal. Turn it, turn it. Chad, leave your phone at home. Chad, give me your thought life. Chad, give me your disciplines. Why were you giving me your Mondays, but now you've backed off of that? And if, if this feels like legalism to you, I think it's a great thing to go talk to somebody about because that's probably triggering something in you that the Father needs to deal with. Read the book of James. Not only is this not legalism, this is just biblical. Yes, grace is real. I stand before the Father based upon the cleanness of Jesus. I'm righteous because of Jesus. But what I do with Jesus after I'm born again is primarily up to me and him and my obedience to him. I'll close with this. Fearing the Lord is what Abraham did with Isaac. If Abraham does not take Isaac up on that mountain, Abraham would not be the grandfather of our faith. It's not because God liked him. Matter of fact, there's a strange passage that says, Abraham, now I know that I can trust you. I'm gonna let y'all wrestle with that. Y'all call John Helms on staff or some other pastor and talk about that. Now I know that I can trust you. I got a couple of questions. Do you wanna ascend the mountain? Do you understand that it'll cost you? What do you wanna present to the father that day you stand before him and there's no panel, your parents aren't with you, it's you and him. You know what I wanna hand him? I gave you everything I had. I lived like this. I lived open-handed. I talked to someone the other day. I'll tell you who it was. I hear him talking. There he is, Brett Eisherman. I said, what do you want to do the rest of your life? He said, whatever God wants me to do. That's a good answer. That was a couple of months ago. That's a good answer. You know that people are happier with less on them? I'm going to ask the band to come back up here. I appreciate you, you hanging in there and listening to me. I'm going to give you all I got this series. Um, I, I want to read you a passage as Jesse and the team come. From Paul said it. 
1 Corinthians 2, 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I've never claimed to be a... I'm just giving you all I got, and I pray that it produces power in your life for breakthrough and for fruit. Take this stuff and wrestle it out with God. If I'm saying some stuff you don't like, instead of just doing what a lot of Christians do and just go ahead and start judging, go wrestle with it. Jesus says it this way. I'll close with this. You are my friends if you do what I command. Father, we give this church to you, our series to you. People listening to your message here to you. I pray that you would raise up an Enoch generation. Father, I come into your throne room right now. I know that you hear everything that we say. You say the prayers of a righteous man avail much. I am asking you to raise up an Enoch generation, a generation just con- uh, concerned with deep friendship with you, a generation that, that, that hikes without much in the bag at all, that we don't have our own agenda. Father, I lay this entire church, all 10 elders lay this church on the altar, that it's your agenda. And I thank you, Father, that you've counted us worthy enough to bring a sharp sword of even correction to the church through your word. I welcome the sword. I welcome it on me. And Father, I just ask that the people who are supposed to call Bridgeway home, that you would give them wisdom that this is their home. And the people that aren't supposed to call Bridgeway home, I pray, Father, that you would, you would take them to a place that's supposed to be their home. But as for this family, Wendy and I just say, for this family, we will serve you, your message. We will count obedience as the marker of friendship with you. I I bless this house that it would ripple out from here. This Enoch generation, I just keep hearing it. Enoch generation, Enoch generation. This generation of friendship with you.